This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. Go to rocketmoney.com slash SOS to find more information. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. It's a Strong Opinion Sports episode 632, which is very high. And uh, joining wow. me, good friend of mine, Marcus Whitman, uh, also known as that franchise guy, Marcus. How are you, man? How's life? Uh, I'm doing great. It's very good to see you. Uh, I was, you know, just watching the Super Bowl and, and following all the all the people throughout the week down there in Vegas and just thinking about uh, the last time I saw you in person. We had a great week hanging out at the Shrine Bowl. So I, I figured, hey, we, we got to we got to reconnect, man. So it's it's good to be here. Happy to talk some ball. Dude, yeah, I'm I like love talking to you. You're my favorite YouTuber and my favorite person to talk football with. And so like I'm just like sick. Let's talk about ball. Um, I guess, honestly, let's just start right off the bat. Like what when you look back on the season, what stands out to you? Is there anything that like like we there's a lot of things to touch on. We'll touch on the Packers, hopefully. But anything immediately glaring to you? They're like, we got to talk about this one thing. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that came away from this season is the the whole backup quarterback and the value of of having one um mm. just with all of these starters going down um you know maybe not so much in the sense of like you got to have someone that can go on a Nick Foles run right like i don't think anybody really was like <laughs> oh joe flacco or jake browning or any of these guys that stepped in were like going to go on super bowl runs <laughs> but Watching some of these backups play, I just I think the level of backup quarterbacks in the league is much better than it was maybe five, ten years ago, where it felt like, you know, when I was younger, it felt like if a backup came in, it was like this guy cannot throw the ball. He does not know the <laughs> offense like this. You are a you are going to lose this game if your backup is in. And I think that just with with the way the passing game has evolved, the way that colleges are throwing the ball more, 11-on-11s or 7-on-7s, seven um, I just think the baseline of quarterback play around the league is just better to the point that it is important to have a guy like a Jake Browning or, or whoever that might be um, because you might be like the Jets and you need to – you know, survive a couple extra games in hopes that your your starting quarterback can can come back. And I just I think that's something that has changed in my mind from this year um, in that you can have a, a backup that can can really help you keep keep uh, your season alive if, if your start is going to miss three or four weeks. And it's easier mm -hmm. maybe to find those guys uh, and maybe a little bit cheaper than five or 10 years ago that we would have talked about. So that was a big takeaway for me this year. Do you think we're going to reach a point of oversaturation at the quarterback position where we're going to have a lot of guys that are capable and not enough places to put them in? We're not there yet. Like we still have guys like Zach Wilson bouncing around. And, but are we, as, especially this draft seems really full of guys who might work out. And I don't know that we have enough room for all of them. Does that make sense? Is that a crazy thought? Oh, totally. That's another thought I've, I've had about this whole thing. I mean, I think we have reached that point. I think, like I think, and and I'm a little higher on him than some people. Like I think Andy Dalton is a starting quarterback in the NFL. I think Jacoby Brissett is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Ryan Tannehill is probably going to be a backup this year. Russell Wilson might be a backup this year. Like I I do think that we have reached that point, um, but I also think teams are much more like 
averse to having that guy. Like, look mm. at Washington, for example. Yes, they signed Jacoby Brissett, but they were like, why? What's the point of starting Jacoby Brissett? Let's just see what Sam Howell can do. Um, I think teams are a little bit more forward thinking in that way. So it hurts the guys that you kind of know what they are a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I I do think, like I was kind of saying, like, I think these backup quarterbacks are going to become a lot cheaper and more available. Uh, and yeah, the depth around the league is pretty damn good. What do you think happens with Justin Fields? Like that that's the number one domino to me that I'm like, I can't, I can't wait to see what happens, what the Bears do, where he maybe gets traded. Cause I think Justin Fields, like in Atlanta, is really exciting. And I want that to happen. What do you think is going to happen? I, I, I guess I don't really have a question here. I just want to talk about Justin Fields because I, yeah. I want him in Atlanta. I would like that to happen. I I think Pittsburgh, to me, is mm. the most likely destination. Um, I think Atlanta is is certainly in play as well, and I would like to see that. Both those teams are going to be running pretty similar types of systems. You've you kind of got the Shanahan-style system going on, which – Fields has been running in Chicago, so I think from a, a schematic point of view, that would make sense. Um, not that he was dominant in that system, but um, I, I do think with Pittsburgh, they they could they could really get the perfect amount of offense that they need. Like they don't need to have a top ten offense; they really don't. They just need to have a good baseline, maybe a top twenty offense. Uh, we really saw them lean into the run game late in the season and they have playmakers, but I think if Pittsburgh can bring in fields with Arthur Smith, who I think it's a bad rap from the whole, the fantasy community because he, he didn't use Bijan and Kyle Pitts in the way that he maybe could have. But I do think like the baseline of play calling from Arthur Smith is pretty, pretty good. So I think you bring in fields there and really lean into him with the, the run game and in a way that, Arthur Smith has actually done that with Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter, but Fields is on a whole different planet in terms of that. Uh, and then, yeah, like a lot of 12 personnel. You've got big Darnell Washington from Georgia. I like uh, Connor Hayward, who's Cam Hayward's brother, is like a really underrated kind of H-back, fullback type. Uh, you've obviously got Deontay Johnson. You've got um, uh, what? What are you George Pickens, at? baby. Freaking George right, Pickens. George Pickens. Bro. Let's go. Yes. Yes, of course. That was the next word I was <laughs> I was getting out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> even Calvin Austin is like a really sneaky deep threat. Um, yeah. so like I just I think I think they could do some really fun stuff and I can just picture it there. Um uh, and I think it was was it Mike Tomlin said he he likes Justin Fields. I don't know if that was uh -huh. public or not, but uh yeah, I, I think Pittsburgh is definitely the most likely destination there i think justin fields playing for mike tomlin would be really exciting that's a good fit to me that would be really cool mm -hmm. but can you please sell me on arthur smith because i have been so negative i've been so frustrated i di i didn't understand when he was hired as the falcons head coach i'm like what and by the way, we can cuss on the show i was like what the fuck did they see in him why what did he do in <laughs> tennessee that made him become a head coach let alone atlanta why why does mike tomlin want him can you tell me what you like about him so sell me on him well i disagree i think what he did in tennessee was fantastic he took ryan Tannehill, made him look like a top 10 quarterback he sheltered an offensive line that was not very good uh mm. and we saw when he went to atlanta that offensive line became one of the best run blocking units in the league um i think he really understands the run game uh the wide zone kind of uh you know, pairing with the, the play action passing game, kind of making everything look similar. I think he sets up plays too, where he might run something on, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan gets a lot of credit for this, where he might run something on first down that 
whether it gains yardage or not is irrelevant to him. He's got he's going to see how that linebacker reacts to the motion or how the safety rotates or, or something like that, and he's going to have a plan in, in his back pocket for the third quarter. Um, I saw all that in Atlanta. I think he did it in Tennessee. Arthur Smith's downfall to me was he thought he could take a Marcus Mariota or a Desmond Ritter and get enough out of those guys. And Mm. he had enough power to say that's enough for me. Um, And he was dead ass wrong about that. Desmond Ritter, I don't know how many Falcons games you watched. He was the worst starting quarterback in the NFL this year. Hands down, I have no doubt about it. He would constantly just make like boneheaded mistakes down in the red zone, especially. So you've got these really well-designed drives from Arthur Smith. The underlying numbers for the Falcons offense were pretty good. And then Desmond Ritter's just giving the ball to the other team. Um, So that was Arthur Smith's downfall was the personnel decisions and some of the draft stuff too, right? Like he took these guys and didn't fully have a plan to like get the most out of them. He just kind of used them as decoys a lot. But I think in a situation where he's just the offensive coordinator, and just you know, go go execute the offense, and uh, we're gonna give you, we're gonna tell you who your quarterback's gonna be. We're gonna tell you who we're drafting. I think he can honestly settle in as one of the better offensive coordinators in the league. So I was always frustrated with him. First of all, I I like what you said about the run game. Like if you're Mike Tomlin, you want a guy who can run the football. I mean, that seems like that's what they want to do. But on top of that, mm-hmm. I, as, as a quarterback, I always was always frustrated watching Arthur Smith because I felt like on third down and in important downs, he didn't trust his quarterback. That was my thing. I'm like, why do you why do you promote your quarterback? Why do you make this guy your starter if you don't trust him? But then mm-hmm. I guess you would probably counter. I'm assuming. Well, he, he put his faith in the wrong people. Is that ac- so maybe with the yeah. right person at the helm, Arthur Smith could succeed is what you're saying. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. How do you keep track of all your subscriptions? Can you tell me for sure how many you have and who is taking money from you each month? Have you ever had trouble canceling a subscription or discovered you were being charged for something you didn't think you should be charged for? Well, Rocket Money can help you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I have never had to get on the phone with customer service. On top of that, they'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and renegotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you got to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money will take care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and it's helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash SOS. That's rocketmoney.com slash SOS. Rocketmoney.com slash S-O-S. Yeah, I, have we given up on Kenny Pickett entirely? Because I, I have. Have you? I'm done with Kenny Pickett. I do not trust him. I, I'm so... He's so... I don't know what positive he brings to the table that makes you go, yeah, let's give him another shot. Yeah, he doesn't have like that superpower, right? Like you want you want a guy that has at least, even if he's like if he's not going to be a top ten quarterback, you want it at least to be like a Justin Fields, where you you can say we we can have a really great like early down run game around the quarterback, um, or even like you want a Joe Flacco, where it's like we can just launch bombs 
and you know Something hopefully make positive yes Kenny Pickett doesn't have that, right? He's just got a bunch of like solid baseline traits. He to me is around the 32nd best quarterback in the league. Like I think he is if he's starting, you can say all right, yeah, you have one of the 32 best guys in the league <laughs> running the show there. Um I obviously like I think Fields there would be a good move. I'm cool with moving on from Kenny Pickett. Yeah. I will say they, I think, made a mistake this year by sticking with Mason Rudolph, and I've been kind of alone in saying that, but hear me out. Um, so they fired Matt Canada. Uh, I don't know the exact weeks that this was, but it was like week 13. They fired Matt Canada. Kenny Pickett gets one start with the new offensive coordinator. I think it was against the Bengals, and he played well. He had like... I don't know. I don't remember the stat line, but it was like the best game of his season, basically. And then the next week he got hurt in the second quarter. Mason Rudolph comes in and and looks pretty good for a couple weeks, started to, you know, drop down again after the Seahawks game and they head into the playoff game. And it's like, we all knew Mason Rudolph was not going to beat the Buffalo bills. And I don't think Kenny Pickett was either, but I just feel like, like I, I do buy in the fact that Matt Canada was a horrible offensive coordinator. Just no motion, oh, yeah. not scheming anybody open, just classic, like stagnant offense. Like, like they brought the NFL back like 15 years in development in the passing game with what they were doing. Um, and that's just that's not fair to Pickett or any any quarterback out there. So I still would be curious like what Pickett could do outside of a Matt Canada offense because we've literally seen one game of it, um, which is why I think like I don't think he's out of the running for them next year. And if they brought in Fields, I don't even know if it's like guaranteed like it's Fields' job. It probably would be, but I think it would be a, a competition um over the offseason, kind of like when the Panthers brought in Darnold and and Baker and let him kind of duke it out. Um but no, I'm not I'm not out on Kenny Pickett as like an NFL quarterback, but yeah, he's never going to be someone that's going to carry a team to, you know, anything special. I remember. So your big takeaway from the year was backup quarterbacks. My mine was offensive minds, just how rare, maybe not this entire mm-hmm. season. But I look back at, especially the moves made recently. I see Shane Waldron hired in uh, Chicago. I see uh, Luke Getzey, especially to the Raiders made me go like, the fuck are we doing? Like, interesting. And it, it's yeah. it's a it's a real statement about how few truly great offensive minds there are coaching in the NFL that a guy like Luke Getzey gets another job immediately after not doing very well in Chicago. That's the best you can do in Las Vegas, really? Like, oh, man. Yeah. Do you feel that way, too, that there's just a limited amount of really great offensive coordinators out there? If you have one, you better covet that guy tremendously. Yeah, I mean, the most of the great offensive coordinators are are head coaches. So yeah. that's a, a starting problem there. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely like the biggest reason you don't want to hire a defensive head coach because there just aren't a lot of great offensive minds around. There's a bunch of guys that like can do the systems that the great offensive minds are running, but you're not seeing the, you know, setting up plays and, uh, you know, going into the, you know, lab and creating all these new concepts and and bringing new things to the table. That's probably the biggest difference between like a Getzy and a Waldron. 
compared to like Matt LaFleur and uh, Sean McVay, who those guys worked under. So yeah, I, I definitely agree um, that, yeah, it's, it's tough to have a defensive head coach and need to go find basically an offensive head coach from the guys that are available because the, the, the few good offensive minds that are there are getting head coach jobs. I would not hire a defensive head coach barring like very rare circumstances. For example, like Antonio Pierce in Las Vegas. I don't know who they were going to hire that would be better than him. The team, the, the team likes him. He's already established in the building. I'm fine giving Antonio Pierce two years. Let's see what he can do. But yeah, for the most part, or, or even Mike McDonald in Seattle, they've got a veteran head coach or veteran quarterback, Geno Smith. What they really need is a defensive guy to get the most out of their young talent on the defensive side of the football. Mike McDonald responsible, kind of boring, but I like that. But the majority of defensive head coaches in the NFL, I go, oh, are you sure? Like, yeah, like I thought Tennessee hiring Brian Callahan from Cincinnati. I don't know what that I have no idea what to expect from Brian Callahan. I have no idea. Yeah. But at least they got an offensive guy where if it works and Will Levis becomes good, they're not going to have to rehire an offensive coordinator in a couple of years when the guy that works for the quarterback moves away, like what happened in Buffalo. I, I just would you hire a defensive head coach right now? Like at, at all? Is there any situation where you would? Um, my take on this when I reflected on all the coaching hires was that I think there are spots where it makes sense if you're if you're in kind of like a win now situation. Like I think Seattle really made sense because I just I think that offense is gonna be pretty good no matter what right now. Like I think Gino's bringing a good baseline. They have all those weapons. Like I think they can find someone that can um, at least make that offense good. But yeah, the the defensive coaching was such a nightmare. Honestly, it's it's hard to say that with Pete Carroll kind of overseeing the thing, but I thought they were they were behind Green Bay for like the worst coached defense in the league this year. Um, the combination of Clint Hunt and Pete Carroll was just it, it was stagnant. It was it was similar to what we talked about with Matt Canada. It was just no innovation. Um, it, it was just no one really was flying around playing confident. There was no cohesion. Seahawks defense has a lot of talent. So for mm-hmm. me, it's like the offense is probably going to be pretty good. It was already with Shane Waldron, who I think is just a nice whatever offensive coordinator. But you bring in truly one of the the potentially great defensive minds in the league, and they could become a top 10 defense this year and really compete in the NFC, honestly, if, if that happens. So I do think that made sense. Even in Atlanta, where it's like, well, we're not like stoked on – the candidates necessarily um, like they clearly didn't think they could get Ben Johnson, for example, maybe they weren't stoked on the offensive candidates. It's like, well, let's, let's bring in Raheem Morris and the division sucks. And I like that they had a good plan for the offensive coordinator. I'm really curious to see what Zach Robinson can do there. Uh, Cause I think he is, he, he just has a lot of potential to be one of these offensive coordinators that gets poached as a head coach within a couple of years coming from you become a Matt LaFleur, a Sean McVay, a Kyle yeah. Shanahan type guy. Maybe, maybe, or yeah. uh, even better. Uh, what's, what's the guy uh, in Minnesota? Why am I blanking on his name? Tell me. Uh, O'Connell. Kevin yeah, O'Connell. He, he could be a Kevin O'Connell. Yeah. I, I see that exactly. absolutely happening. Yeah. Um, so I could see if you're Atlanta and you're like, yeah, two, three year window. The, the owner is like 85 years old. Like I can see just say like, look, let's try to make the most out of the NFC South and, uh, you know, see where it goes. So, like, I think there are situations where it makes sense. Um, but, like, Washington, like, what is that about with Dan Quinn? 
it's hard to be positive. I I well, we, I want to be. I always try to be positive and give benefit of the I know, doubt. Me too. Right. Like and so like with Dan Quinn, did you see his press conference was great because he said, "I learned a lot. I'm a different coach than I was years ago, and I was the Falcons head coach. I've grown. I've learned." Like he said everything right. But I'm like, man, yeah. I, I still am not excited. I'm hopeful. Like, I want to be positive and try. But like, oh, man, really? That's the best we could do in Washington? Really? Actually, for real? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's And I like Dan Quinn, and I agree. I think he's, like, totally changed his approach about defense because he was, like, cover three 70% of the time in the Legion of Boom and tried to do that in Atlanta without Cam Chancellor and two great edge rushers <laughs> and Bobby Wagner and Earl Thomas Turns out, and Richard Sherman, it turns out, you know, just running cover three every play <laughs> doesn't work when you don't have four or five Hall of Famers on your defense. Um, but I, I think what he did in Dallas was really impressive. Like, he, he became a really cover one heavy team, the stunts, the blitzes. He also had incredible personnel, though. I, like, he's not going to have that in Washington. Not the same level. I don't know. I, it's when you're given I think that, he had, good. I mean, he obviously had Micah Parsons. Yeah. I don't know that he had, like, elite personnel i think i think a lot of the stuff he was doing elevated guys like trayvon diggs and deron bland and mm-hmm. um you know okay. like i and you know I, I obviously having michael parsons is a huge help but like i don't think he had like the browns roster or the niners roster necessarily um yeah but one thought though is what about the retread offensive head coach because we have cliff kingsbury and we have Arthur Smith. This is a new wrinkle that I've thought about is getting a guy, if you're going to have a defensive head coach like Mike Tomlin or Dan Quinn, what about getting an offensive coordinator that you know is get, is not getting a head coaching offer anytime soon? Like Cliff Kingsbury and Arthur Smith are not getting head coaching jobs anytime soon. So I actually really like swinging for those guys. Um not necessarily. I mean, I, I already talked. I liked Arthur, Arthur Smith a lot. Cliff Kingsbury, I think, was a solid offensive mind um, that similar to Arthur Smith, it was more of like the personnel decisions and they were they kind of built this soft program in Arizona. I think that was kind of the, the main criticism was they tried to build like a big 12 team in the NFL and it just didn't work. Um, not to mention their general manager, Steve Kime, who's since been fired, was if you go back and look at his drafts, it's hilarious. Like they went like five straight years, basically wasting their draft classes. So um, Cliff's another guy where it's like, well, I'm willing to give him another chance just as a play caller. And if he is good, like I said, no one's hiring him away. So that was a, a hire. I did really like uh, to pair with Dan Quinn. Cause I think there's like, you're going to be able to keep the, if things do grow and look like you're heading in the right direction you should be able to keep those guys together for a a long time honestly so um i think that's another thing to think about with the ocs is like the retread offensive minds do you remember when pat Shermer got hired out of minnesota he was a great offensive coordinator minnesota got hired by the giants as their Mm -hmm. head coach and fell flat on his face he was awful like awful Mm -hmm. and that's the moment where i was like oh you can be a great coordinator and a terrible head coach Maybe that's Cliff Kingsbury. Maybe he should just never, ever be given the reins ever again. But when he's your play caller and he's got less to manage, because when you're a head coach, there's so much more delegation and more things you got to worry about. I do like the idea that in Washington, he's just been given the offense. You do your best. Dan Quinn will take care of the defense and stay in your little lane. Don't get too crazy. We'll take care of you. Actually, I think that that could work. So maybe I'm harsh on the 
the Dan Quinn Cliff Kingsbury pairing there. But as long as they're paired together, I feel better about it. If it was just mm-hmm. Dan Quinn and some no name guy, I'd be way more skeptical, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Or be worried that okay, this is going to go well for a year or two, and then just like <laughs> what happened in Atlanta, like Kyle Shanahan's going to go get a head coaching job, yeah. and it'll be Dan Quinn with like Steve Sarkeesian or whoever it was. <laughs> Do you think Atlanta did the best they could by hiring Raheem Morris? Is that is that is that kind of the best it gets for them? You think? Um, I wouldn't say the best they could. I thought it was like you know hitting a double. Like I I like Raheem Morris a lot. Um, and they know them like he's but, been in the building before. Right. Yeah. No, but like, obviously I'd be more excited if they got even like a Dave Canales. Like, I think that's a, a fun hire for, for Carolina or Mike Smith from Miami or, or, um, taking a chance on, um, Bobby Slowick. Like to me, that's just the, the higher upside higher. Um, but yeah. I saw the hire. I was like, that's that's kind of fun. I, I like it, and I'm excited to see that defense with with Raheem Morris, who's he's been he's been a rock star like the last three or four stops that he's had. Like he's he's really done a good job with his defenses. So, um, and like he's what I appreciate about him is he's run every scheme in the book, right? Like he came from in like '08. A lot of people don't even know like he's he's a retread head coach technically because he was the head coach of the bucks in like 08 but it was a total like the whole tampa 2 dynasty had like fizzled away was that josh um, freeman at quarterback too was that that those days it was freeman's rookie year yeah and uh Man. yeah they just everyone had kind of left and they had this like weird weird window they made Raheem Morris the head coach. They fired him the next year. It was just a total wasted year. And then it took him like 10 years because it does. It usually takes a long time if you were a head coach, especially if you're a defensive guy. If you were a head coach, you got fired. It takes a long time to get back into that consideration. But he's been he's been awesome everywhere he's been. And and um, where I was going with this is he's run cover two. He was in Washington. I uh, can't even remember who the defensive coordinator was at the time. Um, it might have even been uh, Joe Barry. Uh, but he, he ran a lot of like fire zone, like cover three blitzes, excuse me. And then, um, he goes to the, to the Rams last year and kind of adapts to everything they liked to do, Mm. uh, running a lot of quarters and, and the kind of like pattern matching zone stuff. And yeah, Raheem Morris goes over there and he's like, I can acclimate to what you guys are doing. Like I can handle coaching this stuff. So I just think he's incredibly multiple and is going to like really look at what he has personnel wise and, and run the right stuff. Um, do you, so Ryan Grubb's journey really fascinates me. Ryan Grubb is the offensive coordinator at Washington head coach goes to Kalen DeBoer goes to Alabama. He says he's going to go to Alabama too. And then ends up not leaving Seattle and staying, going from the Washington Huskies to the Seattle Seahawks. I hope he didn't yeah. sell his house. I hope he ended up not even having to move. Like, I really, I feel terrible if he sold his house, left, and then like oh, a day or two later had to go right yeah. back to Seattle. Yeah. But what, what's interesting about that move to me is there's a whole conversation, and I've seen people push against it. I've seen it promoted. I don't know what to make of it, but I look at college football right now, and we see Nick Saban leaving. It seems like a really, really crappy system right now to deal with the transfer portal, to deal with all of the NIL stuff. It's, it's a really difficult place to succeed. 
which I think could benefit the NFL, where some of the better offensive minds in college might say, fuck this. I'm going to the NFL. I don't want to deal with this nonsense. Yeah. That might be what happened with Ryan Grubb. Do you agree that, first of all, what do you make of the move with Ryan Grubb? And then also on top of that, the bigger question is, do you think we're going to maybe get even better coaches in the NFL because of what's happening in college right now? Okay, so Harbaugh leaving, you went to the NFL. There's mm-hmm. movement, it seems, towards the NFL. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent agreed. Um, yeah, I want to, I want to, let's circle back to Grubb second. But yep. um, the Packers' new defensive coordinator was talking about this too. Uh, and he had he a great press conference of Boston, Boston College. College. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So he got hired as the defensive coordinator. And he basically said, like, the day he got the job, he was like, I I am so happy to no longer be a college head coach because it sounds like a freaking nightmare, man. Like, especially, I think, as a defensive coach, where I think being being a good defense is so dependent on just getting reps with the same guys. Like, and especially if you're going to run this, like, quarters type of system where it's all about communication and rules and, like, relying on past experiences where like you'll see like a different route combination be like, all right, we, we played that wrong four weeks ago. we got to pass that off. Like that's all about continuity and, and keeping guys together. And in college, it's like, not only do you only get these guys for so long, but now everyone's just transferring willy nilly. And at first, when I saw the new transfer rules, I was like, Oh, that's great for college football. Like fuck the NCAA, like kids should be able to do whatever they want. They should be able to do whatever they want. But it is really hard for the coaches, and I totally get having no interest, especially because you you got to freaking recruit these guys. You got to leave your family. You got to go out of the country. Like you are you are putting massive amounts of time. You got to watch the film and like decide this is the guy that can be my free safety. And you got to spend time getting him there, and then you have a plan in place for him to replace your senior in a year, and he just leaves. And you're like, well, fuck, like that sucks. <laughs> so. I totally get why these coaches are like not interested in that framework. It it was bad to be a college coach before the transfer portal. I, I always thought even back in the day, like recruiting trips, leaving your family, like you don't just get the football, like in the NFL, you get football season and then a lot of time off. You don't get that even at all in college. You're every bit of your year, your calendar is filled with traveling or coaching and there's no time really yeah. to spend time with your family. Now it's even worse. I just feel bad for like, we're going to see probably really shitty coaches become head coaches in college football because no one wants that job. I think a hundred percent. Yeah. And, uh, I, I got to get used to whatever his name is. The new Packers. I think it's Jeff, Jeff Halsey, uh, his first like press conference in green Bay. He was like, I'm, I haven't watched this much film. I watched, he's like, I watched more film yesterday than I have in the last six months. And he's like, I could not be happier to just be a football coach again. Like he, Mm. he's like, this is the, like, I didn't even realize how big of a breath of fresh air this was going to be. So like he, he hated being a head coach clearly and could not wait to get out of there. And I don't think he's going to be the first one. I'm happy for him. Like, I really think if you want to focus on football, the NFL is the place to be as a coach. Truly. Like, yeah. uh, Ryan Grubb, do you have any thoughts? Um, I don't have a ton of thoughts. I'm not like the biggest college football guy. I basically just watch the season starting in like January when I'm getting through all the draft prospects. Um, people always make fun of me cause I'll tweet like about a guy who's like, Oh, this guy looks like a really good prospect for next year. 
And they're like, yeah, how the fuck do you not know? Like Jordan Addison was, I was watching Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh and I was like, dang, this, uh, this 15 for, or whatever number he wore at Pittsburgh, this guy looks freaking awesome. Like keep an eye on him for next year. And they're like, yeah, you idiot. He won the Blitnikoff or whatever the wide receiver award is. Like he transferred <laughs> to USC. He's going to be catching passes from Caleb Williams next year. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> well, he's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I get a couple of those every year, but anyway, um, I don't know a ton about like Ryan Grubb or, or even the head coach that went to Bama. But um, I, I mean, I liked, how vertical their offense was like having watched Michael Penix. And I definitely think with, I mean, if you're looking for an NFL offense that you can kind of just take what you liked to do and just do it in the NFL running, you know, deep shots with Tyler Lockett and Metcalf and Gino, who's got a cannon. Jackson uh, Smith, and Jackson Jigba. Smith and Jigba. Yep. Yep. So I definitely think it's going to be a very vertical mm. Like a lot of deep passes. Would not be surprised if Geno leads leads the NFL in like average depth of target this year. Yeah, I, I think the personnel is similar. I don't similar is not the right word there, but like what they had at Washington was a bunch of great receivers that could run vertically and do a lot of stuff. And they've yeah. got a similar skill set in Seattle at the NFL level. They're like, oh, this does actually translate, I think, potentially. Belichick mm-hmm. fascinates me. He he didn't become a yeah. head coach. I thought for sure he was going to go to Atlanta. I'm like, man, it, it makes too much sense to me. They went a different mm-hmm. direction. Who knows what that conversation was like? Maybe Alabama, maybe Atlanta didn't want to give him control. Maybe, maybe they just love Raheem Morris. I have no idea. What do you make of Bill Belichick not coaching football this year? That that's wild. I don't like. I, it didn't I seem like he wanted that either. Like Nick Saban stepped away. He chose to leave. Belichick wanted a coach and isn't. That's crazy, right? Is that just me? It's crazy. Yeah. It's 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 just tough. Like I would imagine Belichick wanted a lot of personnel control. Uh and that's going to be a huge turnoff for any organization, especially when it hasn't always gone well for New England, right? Like especially in the offensive side of the ball, it's been a train wreck. And I think if you're Atlanta and you're like, well, we, we need to get our offense right. I know they hired a defensive coach, but like they went with Zach Robinson and they have a GM. They have a new GM. Um, can't, I think if is it Terry Fontenot or did he go to Arizona? I can't remember, but they have a newer GM that they still want to like see that through. I think, I think that's really is what it came down to was Bill came into Atlanta and at the end of the interview, he's like, so I'm, I'm going to have full control of the roster and do what I want here. And they're like, no, that's not how this is going to work here. I think that's, that's probably how it flamed out, but it is definitely weird. Like I, I definitely think Belichick is still a defensive genius and should be coaching in the NFL. He, he must not want a defensive coordinator job. I I'd love to see him paired up with like Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. It would be (laughs) insanity. But what's interesting to me about Belichick is that, and we saw this with Russell Wilson too, the longer you hang around, the worse your reputation became, right? If Belichick had left New England the minute Tom Brady left, he'd be a head coach immediately afterward. But because he stayed Mm -hmm. and tried to make it work and did his own thing and frankly hit his head against the wall over and over again, and he he kind of coached his way out of a head coaching job, which is like, dang, I don't I just find that wild. I, I really didn't expect a world where he wouldn't be coaching this fall. 
Yeah. Well, and even New England, like it's not like they really went in a different direction, right? Like they promoted Mayo. It's going to be the same defensive scheme. They're going to be a defensive first team. But they were like, we can't have Belichick deciding who our quarterback's going to be, who our offensive coordinator is going to be. Like he he is jaded. He cannot make those types of decisions. And I think that is definitely what scared the Falcons away and really the rest of the NFL. So I wonder if I wonder what a year off is going to do here. Cause he's for one, he's going to be 74 years old. So like if you're given a roster control to a guy who's 74, it's just like, where's the long-term plan there. But um, like, is he going to come in and just be super aggressive and just try to win the next two years and just destroy the future of the organization? I, I don't know, but um, it'll be interesting. Like, if a year off is good for him and, and a team is like, yeah, let's let's see if Belichick still has it as a head coach or is he going to sit there and not get another head coaching offer and be like, all right, it's time to go finish up my career as the you know defensive coordinator for the Giants or the Niners. It does feel like it would be one of those like historic organizations that he would go and like try to get a few more rings for. Dude, Miami Bill Belichick could be a lot of fun like. I don't know. I want him with a great head coach. Like I want him to just go find like, like what if Steve Spagnuolo leaves and then Belichick becomes the defensive coordinator at Kansas city. Can you imagine? I, that's not going to happen, mm. but that would be unbelievable. Like that kind of move would make me so happy. Like, yes, pair him with like truly like maybe one of the best offensive minds ever. Like that would be so incredible. Yeah. Although at this point, I don't even know if that's an upgrade <laughs> with how amazing Spags has been. True. Spags was insane. Did you see the record they broke this year? What's the record? They, didn't, they did the first team in NFL history to go the whole season without allowing more than twenty-seven points in a game. Man, can you let's talk about? And it Kansas was only City. one game. It was only one game over twenty-four. It was the Packers. Oh my god, really? Yeah. I so Kansas City to me totally changed the way they win, which I thought was so interesting and so cool. I I remember midseason where you having a conversation like, I don't know, if it's going to work, like. They look like a problem. Did you did you believe midseason they were going to win the Super Bowl? Because I did not. I mean, I, I I certainly wouldn't have picked them. Um, I do remember like week twelve, week thirteen, talking about the state of the AFC. With I, I've been doing a weekly show with uh, Matthew Collar, who covers the Vikings, mm. and I think we both like. I think we did both pick the Chiefs. Uh, to still be the team that we trust. Because at that point in time, like the Bills hadn't heated up yet. Mm -hmm. The Ravens hadn't gone on that run where they beat like the Niners and the Dolphins. So this was kind of before they heated up. So that was just a a total moment of like, no one looked great in the AFC. So it was debating like the Jags, the Ravens and the Chiefs and the Bills. And we were like, I mean, we both still were like, I would take the Chiefs. So... You knew when Mahomes, if you have Mahomes, you have a chance. But no, for them to go on that run was was insane. Um, I think, like you said, that for them to become such a defensive minded team, we really weren't talking about that enough from from the very beginning. Honestly, like I I had them ranked number one for my like summer deep dive series, and people are like, mm. "Oh, this is too high. Their offense isn't explosive enough," even though they had just won the Super Bowl, but. People are like, I don't know. I look at this roster and because like Juju had left and um, their tackle, like Orlando Brown had left. So they were like, I don't know if this offense is going to be good enough. 
And I was like, yeah, but this is this is like an insane defense. And they were the best defense all year. And the defense won them really the the playoffs, too. Like I, this was such a it was just defense and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and incredible coaching on both sides of the ball. Um, yeah, not not an explosive team by any any sense, but they showed that can still be a winning formula. Have you seen the comments? People say like it's kind of a Mickey Mouse Super Bowl, meaning like, you know, Herbert yeah. was hurt. Joe Burrow was hurt. Like a lot of the what we thought was going to be Aaron Rodgers was not a factor in the AFC at all. I I do wonder, you know, if if Burrow, Rodgers and Herbert specifically don't get injured. What's the conversation? What what could we have seen maybe a very different or even I I hate I hate that I'm about to say this, but even like Deshaun Watson, could they could that yeah. have played a role in the AFC? The AFC was severely reduced in their their power, their firepower, I guess, for lack of a better term. I don't think it matters, um, but I do wonder, like, would that have would that have maybe changed things? Um, yeah, I <laughs> I will say I totally agree, and I I was sitting there Super Bowl week, like, man, I think the Bengals could have been here if if Joe Burrow mm-hmm. was healthy. They were my they were my preseason Super Bowl pick. I I'll just yeah that that one especially is a bummer and the Jets too obviously with with Rodgers but I will say I just wanted to know by the way with Rodgers I wanted to know what would have happened like a science experiment right. I'm and sad I think we we'll still it. get a chance next year I think we'll still get I, I think there's enough hype that they can just recreate that hype again next year because um, they were still a really competitive team this year that defense was awesome and and they're going to keep they really aren't set to lose anybody uh, so. We'll, we'll see there, but I will say for the Chiefs, if you want to counter the uh, Mickey Mouse ring argument, which I do think there's a, something to be said about that, but they had to beat Josh Allen and the Bills, and they did. They had to beat Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, which was an incredible football team, and they beat the shit out of them. And I think that Niners team was was an incredible football team that they beat too. So it's not like they... Like there, there are teams that they get through the playoffs, and you look back on it, and you're like, I mean, like Detroit's run to the NFC Championship, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Detroit, but like they beat a Rams team that had a lot of holes, and nobody was picking them to go to the to the playoffs. They beat them barely, and then they beat the Bucks, who were in because their division was ass. You know what I'm saying? Like that wasn't yeah. what the Chiefs had to go through. Like they had to beat legitimate teams all the way through. So Let, let's say it. I, this I, is I think that's then. a counter. The, the counter to the Mickey Mouse thing. I, I, I want for Chiefs fans to hear this, I think would be good is that they did not have an easy run to the Super Bowl. They went, they beat yeah. really good teams back. They beat three great teams in their Super Bowl run. Yeah, in the who playoffs. did they play? Miami. Yeah. Well, that so, one was, that one was a gift. That one was a gift with the weather. Yeah. But, it, but it's not like for sure. Like maybe they would have played Joe Burrow, maybe they would have played Herbert, but they still beat Josh Allen, the NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson, and the best team in the NFC, an incredible 49ers team. Like you're yeah. right, let's not take anything away from what the Chiefs did. I think that if I'm a Chiefs fan, that's what I would want to hear personally. I'd be like, yeah, get, give my team some props. That's not let's yeah. not delegitimize what we did. Um, did you enjoy? Can we talk about the Super Bowl? Like, is there anything I I've had like an hour and a half conversation on the last episode all about it? I've I don't have a lot to add. Um, my, the big takeaway for me about the Super Bowl is that it really confirmed to me that Brock Purdy is a Prius. Like, a, a, it's a silly little thought, an analogy, but <laughs> like he, if someone bought a brand new Prius tomorrow, you'd be like, great purchase. Like, it was affordable, gets great gas mileage. 
It's certainly not a pickup truck. It's very capable. It's certainly not a Ferrari, but like we can't hate on it. It's a great car. It gets the job done and it has a purpose. It's cheap and gets good gas mileage. The problem is if you're spending Ferrari money on a Prius, then that's a terrible purchase. Yeah. I like Brock Purdy a lot. I think he, they almost won the Super Bowl with him. I got nothing bad to say about him, but also I don't want to, I don't want to pretend he's Patrick Mahomes. He's like the 12th or 13th best quarterback in the NFL. Right. And, and should not lose his job. Like he does a great job. Do you like that take? It's, I know it's not polarizing, <laughs> but that's, that's the reality. It's just kind of, he's very solid and that's okay. I think you explained it really well. Um, Cause when I first heard you say Prius, I'm thinking, you know, like Case Keenum's a Prius, like <laughs> <laughs> sure. he's an old Prius, uh, but from like early 2000s. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. He's like the, the uh, beta version of the Prius. The, <laughs> You goes 500 miles and can't work anymore. Um, yeah, I, I think you're spot on like 12, 13, very good quarterback who for me, it's just like, I don't feel the need to really say anything negative about Brock Purdy until that contract rolls around. Cause then the whole, the whole expectation for who he needs to be changes. But like for me, this is, this is the player I keep coming back to is Jalen hurts. Jalen Hurts goes on an incredible season last year, loses in the Super Bowl, was second in MVP voting. Um, For me, I think Brock Purdy should have received. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. More credit in that regard. Um, if it's an award that has historically just been voted on for the stats, right? Like Matt Ryan beat out Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in 2016 because <laughs> he got to throw to Julio Jones for a Kyle Shanahan offense, right? So like, if that's how we're going to vote on the award, you know, anyway, that we don't need to get into the MVP thing, but I think Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts are like neck and neck in terms of who they are as quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts is getting paid now, right? Like, and we've already seen things changing in Philadelphia. I think they're both like quarterbacks that can make the most of a great first read and a great structure, and then honestly create uh, beyond the play. J- uh, Jalen Hurts is a better runner. But I think Brock Purdy sees the field much better. I think he has better pocket presence, senses pressure better. So, like, very similar players. Jalen Hurts can do more, obviously, as a runner um, in the design run game. But I think that's exactly where where Brock Purdy is. Uh, as far as the Super Bowl as a whole, this is the first year that I got to just – I was watching my parents' dogs um, away from home. I was just by myself. This is the first time I think I've ever just – watched a Super Bowl by myself and it was the best thing ever. Like I just got to enjoy the last football game of the year just by myself. It was, it was delightful. Um, so I thought it was a great game back and forth and yeah, I don't, I don't have any like major takes necessarily from, from the game, but we already talked about the defense and, um, yeah. I, I remember when Mahomes got the ball with like a minute 19 left in the fourth quarter. I was like, it's inevitable. He's going to score. And he did. And then they got the ball in overtime. And once again, it was like, 
we know what's going to happen. He's going to score. And he did. And it was this, like, I don't have the words reassuring, but maybe affirming of like, oh, he's absolutely the best guy we've got. Like, like we already know yeah. that. There's not a debate. But now the question is, is he the best we've ever seen? <laughs> like, I can think that's the only conversation left to be had. Yeah. Now I've got some takes, like, creeping back into my head just as I'm rethinking about the Super Bowl. But well, I... Yeah. I have a question. As far as that, yes, go ahead. Did you... I, I didn't feel like Kyle Shanahan... I thought he abandoned the run a bit in the third quarter. That that wasn't great. Um and especially on first and second down, like what you're killing in the running game. Why do you, well, they're at three, three and outs in the third quarter that they gained, like they were, it's like negative one yard and three straight drives. And yeah, that's that, that that's not great. But I also, I didn't feel the need to come down super hard on Kyle Shanahan. Like he had Brock Purdy quarterback and he lost to an incredible defense, Andy Reed and the best quarterback maybe I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think Cowboys fans would love to have the level of success that success that the 49ers have had recently. So I don't, I just didn't feel the need to attack Kyle Shanahan. What did you make of that conversation? I, I think the whole Kyle Shanahan is a choke artist thing is the dumbest, laziest take that you see t- way too often. Like, mm. I just, I mean, his players fumbled the ball twice. That's not his fault. He had a PAT blocked. Um, that his right guard missed an assignment on a perfect play call. It had a, a wide open receiver. Like at the end of the day, the players got to make plays too. And they didn't, the, you know, the Niners made too many mistakes to beat the chiefs and the chiefs as they do, as they did against the Ravens the week before. Like if you make mistakes against Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs, they are, they are too experienced. They are too composed. They will make you pay for it. So that was my takeaway was it was just, it was an incredible matchup. I thought by the end of the year, we got the two best teams in the league. And I thought the Niners made too many mistakes. Like, I, I know that's, it's not exciting. It's not flashy, but that was the difference in the game. Really. I, I'm not a Super Bowl party person, by the way. So I really appreciate that you had a quiet time watching by yourself. Yeah. Like, what were your, did you have good snacks at least? Like, did you at least ball out on good food? I, uh, I, I ordered a B-dubs takeout. So I had, I had wings and nice. fried pickles and yeah, Hell yeah. It was great. that's a great time, man. You, you said you had takes that came to mind about the Super Bowl. Any, anything you want to add? Yeah. Any like thoughts? Well, the, the Niners making mistakes was one of them along with, you know, the Kyle, Sh- Kyle Shanahan choke artist stuff. I was thinking about overtime and I just want to talk about how I think we're, we're in a good spot with overtime rules, which have, pissed me off to no like to none other i have no words to describe how freaking pissed i was for years about overtime rules in the nfl as a packers fan that had to watch aaron Rodgers sit on the sideline in overtime and never touch the football twice in his playoff career it's just like what what are we doing here this is so dumb and think about in in just like 20 i think they changed the the first change to overtime rules where you the walk off had to be a touchdown instead of a field goal yeah. i think that was like 2008 or 2009 that they made that change so just imagine the niners would have won that game in overtime on that field goal with the original rules how fucking stupid is that like that's horrible um and then even for the opening drive touchdown, I thought it was just BS um, for a long time. But now 
we had a legitimate debate about should the Niners have kicked or received. And I think there are good arguments either way. Um, people seem to agree that it's better to kick. Uh, it's probably better, but the fact that we are at a point where it's a debate and something to consider and you have to kind of feel the game out and decide what's best. I mean, that's great, right? Like I'm, I was so happy that we got to an overtime um, and it, it was fair. <laughs> it was, there were fair rules in, in an NFL playoff game in overtime. It was fantastic. I think the biggest thing you have to highlight with that change is that the offensive side of the football has such an advantage to pretend they're equal. was always so weird. Like, Oh, you got right. a shot. You play defense. It's like, dude, come on. We know the rules are skewed towards quarterbacks. We know, like, I, I never liked when people would say, well, like, they had a chance to play defense and stop them, and they didn't. I'm like, well, I, I don't. There's so many bad arguments. Yeah, it's and like, you can't let your okay. Hall of Fame quarterback on the sideline watching and not get a shot. Sorry. Yeah. Can't do it. Uh, I've had so many debates, and I've won them all, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, there's just play defense. Okay, why doesn't the other team have to play defense, right? Like like you said, it is an offensive league. The defense we know gets more tired than the offense as the game goes on because you have to rally and tackle and run to the ball all game. The offense, you know, all the offensive linemen, the receivers that are out of the play, they can just stand there when the play's over. Defensive players are expected to run all over the field all day. Um, so no, both teams should have to play defense. Uh it's an advantage to not have to. The other thing is Oh, just win the game in in regulation, which is the dumbest argument ever. It's like A plus B equals chickens in that kind of like thought process. It's like, no, we are. It's a new game. Why does one team get an advantage? The neither team won the game in regulation. So yeah, there there is there were some really bad um, arguments. W would you have kicked or would you have received? Do you think without hindsight? Like if you were in that moment, what do you think you would have done? I, I think it's like taking the ball second in college overtime. Like you, you want them to have the ball first to know what you're up against. I mean, I really, I like to know yeah. what is expected of me. Cause if, if you know, you're giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes and know he's going to kick. If you told Kyle Shannon, Hey, you're going to kick a field goal, but Mahomes is going to score a touchdown. So you got to go for it on fourth down. He would have. So it's yeah. having the ball second helps you know what you're up against and what you're expected to do. Um, yeah. What did you make of that think, conversation? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, please. Well, I think if I think if you score first, like, do you just go for two yourself to prevent that from? Because you don't want them to go get it and then go for two, right? Because they will obviously go for two um, if you just get seven points. Because then when you get the ball back. You're, all you have to do is kick a field goal. That's the that. big advantage that I think. I hate that. Because if you go for two and don't get it, and then Patrick Mahomes goes down, wins a touch, scores a touchdown, kicks a PAT, and wins, you look like a fucking idiot. Like, I'm not losing a game that way. No way. Where, like, I call my best play, and I, I went for two and didn't get it. Like, I don't know. I, I just couldn't I couldn't sleep at night if that's what I did. That sounds like something Dan Campbell would do. <laughs> I... Okay, but I mean, this is getting deep into it. But then, sure. if you don't get it, then you say, "Okay, but we okay now we have to play defense, right? Like you yeah. still have a chance to play to get that stop." And maybe if you're not going against Patrick Mahomes, like the whole, the whole thing just changes, um, right? Like against any thing. It's 31 Mahomes, other teams, you know, yeah. like like you know he's scoring, and I think that's why I get wanting the ball because then 
the ball's in your court, right? If you receive, this is what I don't think I heard enough people talk about is it's not like it's just back and forth, back and forth until someone doesn't score. If you go score the touchdown and then the Chiefs go and score the touchdown, all you need to do is kick a field goal to win the game. Then it goes to field goal walk-off. That's a massive advantage. So that's why like, I get why Kyle Shanahan was like, I'm an offensive guy. We're in overtime. I want my side of the ball to be in control here. Um, and ultimately, they just didn't execute in the end, right? Like if the right, if the backup right guard, because uh, the Feliciano got hurt early in the game, if the backup right guard on that third down doesn't blow his assignment that had Brock Purdy getting hit, they had a wide open receiver in the flat. Brock Purdy probably hits that throw and they scored the touchdown. So I still, I still think I probably would have taken the ball um, in that situation. What you're saying, I think, is that you get three possessions, theoretically. Touchdown, we score a touchdown, they score a touchdown, then it's sudden death, all we need is a field goal. If you kept the yeah. ball first, you you have the game in your hands. If you give the ball to Patrick Mahomes first, he scores a touchdown, you respond to the touchdown, but then he could get the ball and it's sudden death with, he has the ball and a chance to win. That That's a, a great... Goal. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. No, no one has said that to me, and I really like that thought yeah. process. Like, if you have the ball yeah. first, you you have the way more control over the outcome of the game. Yeah. So, mm. damn. But I do That's think. I, I mean, I really do think I would go for two. I would. I would get the ball, score the touchdown, go for two, because then the other, because the other team is going to go for two, right? Like they're not gonna, they're not gonna say, let's kick it, and then all we have to do is stop them from getting a field goal to win the Super Bowl. Like mm. team, you'd like, rather go for two than go goal. on defense. If you're if you're have the ball second in overtime, you'd rather and and they score a touchdown first. You would rather go for two to take a one point lead and win than go on defense oh, yeah, and risk them I kicking a field goal. With these rules, I think teams will do that one hundred percent of the time. Is what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. They no, will go for the right. win instead of kicking it off and saying, we have to stop you from getting a field goal. Because the probability of you stopping them from getting a field goal is, is probably less than you getting the two-point, right? Like, you're probably 50% getting the two-point, and you're probably 40, 30, 30 or 40% from stopping them from getting a field goal at that point. So, like, just by the math, you're going to go for two. So what I'm saying is if I get the ball first, I want to go for two as well. Yeah. Because then it's then it's we're guaranteeing that we can get that second possession. And if we don't get it, then it's okay, bunker down. We got to stop them from getting a touchdown. Hmm. And if when they go you, down yeah. and they score a touchdown and they get the PAT, so be it. You can sleep at night because you you did what they would have done. Yeah, I actually really I think that sound lot you've really thought that through. That's that's a good, well thought out plan that I really like, actually. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> What do you make of the 49ers? I, it's Kyle Juszczyk who said this, by the way, the fullback. Like, I think it's still weird, but he said he didn't know the overtime rules. I don't know how the fuck that's possible. Like, I don't know how you don't know the... I don't know how... It, I, maybe it sounds like Kyle Shannon didn't have the whole team in one room and say, by the way, real quick, here are the new overtime rules. Let's be very clear. He, he delegated it to mm. his position coaches and it didn't properly sprinkle throughout the entire team. What do you make of that whole conversation? I think it's much to do about nothing. I think he, Kyle Shanahan knew the, the the rules and it maybe just as limited to Kyle Juszczyk, but what do you make of that conversation? Because it is kind of weird and looks a bit sloppy to me. That is the one thing with Shanahan that 
is like potentially holding him back is like the attention to details. Like I think Shanahan has a little bit of have you by chance, have you ever read the book um The Perfect Pass? No. It's about how mummy and Mike Leach, you'd love it. Um, I will. Yeah, I'll look right, it up. Well, if you haven't if you haven't if you haven't heard it, then I, I knew Mike Leach. He was awesome. And I, I would love yeah. to read a book about him. He was he was a yeah. good guy. Um but anyway, I think Kyle Shanahan is very much like um all about the offense and like defense, special teams, game management, making sure everybody knows the rules, like all the Belichick, like nuanced stuff. I don't know that Shanahan necessarily has that. Um, I don't want to call that culture. I don't want to call that a lack of leadership there. It's, it's just an attention to detail that I think is kind of missing. Um, and it does feel like, like there is game management, like just not calling timeouts at times. It's just like, again, the attention to detail, I think, is lacking a little bit with Kyle Shanahan, but I still think he's the best head coach in the league, so I'm not going to like Well, he could really learn from this loss, maybe, and make little adjustments here and there. Like, hey, next time, all my players know the rules here. All this, like, did you think, did you see a video where he got accused of being drunk at the podium? Did you see that? I don't. After the game? No, before the game, like during media week, which I also don't, I'm not that bothered by. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Like, I don't want to do a bunch. If I'm sitting in a room with 50 reporters call, giving me questions, I don't want to do that either. Like, and it, I don't know. Was he drunk? Is is that a, it's bad optically, you know, like if, if your players are saying that are the rules yeah. and you maybe were drunk at a podium, it's not amazing. And then you lose the Super Bowl. None of that's good. Right. Like, it, it's just <laughs> it doesn't I don't know what to make of it, but it doesn't smell right. You're like, mm, that's a bad look all around. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's go back right before the Super Bowl. The Ravens played Kansas City in the AFC title game. It's been a while now. Like it's been a long. It's, yeah. it's February twenty fourth. I don't know how well you remember that game, but I I just remember feeling like man, the Ravens didn't show up. It's so weird how and and also I thought the Chiefs defense made Lamar Jackson look pedestrian, which is really impressive and really deserves credit. But I was that was the most disappointing game of the playoffs by far for me because I, I thought Lamar was going to show up and have his moment, and he very much did not. Do you even remember that game? Do you have any thoughts on yeah. that moment? I don't really remember the first couple quarters all that well, um, honestly, like how we got to the end of the game. But, I mean, the two mistakes that the Ravens made were just brutal. The Zay Flowers fumble right at the goal line, yeah. just gut-wrenching. And that Lamar Jackson pick is like, <sighs> like, dude, that is a legacy mistake right there. That was egregious. There was nothing. It was quadruple coverage. And it was, wasn't it like first or second down too? Yeah, it, like, that was the Ravens Super man, Bowl. Lamar's, away, literally. Yeah. Like Lamar's been trying to get over this, this narrative on him that he's not a great playoff quarterback. And that is not how you're going to get over that narrative, dude. Like, and I'm, I've tried to be like as pro Lamar. I still love Lamar, but like, that's, and I, I would go as far as saying, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to get that close again because mm-hmm. all these quarterbacks are coming back. The Ravens just lost like their entire defensive staff. They got like career years out of Jadavian Clowney and, uh, Kyle Van Noy, like 
that defense I don't think is going to be nearly what it was this year. Um, yeah, I I think that was just as gut-wrenching as it gets for the Ravens. I was so sure he was going to deliver in that moment. Like, I really thought he had a better team at the time. I, I'm I'm looking back now, like, I, I didn't have Joe Burrow this year. I didn't have Justin Herbert this year. Like, but at the time, I'm like, this is the second best quarterback in football, Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to rise to the occasion. I know he's playing Patrick Mahomes, but he's got a better team, a great defense. They beat the stuffing out of the Lions, like 38 to 6. I'm like, man, and, and for it to not happen. And you're right, it, I'm looking at it. It was second and 10. It's horrifying that Lamar Jackson didn't deliver in that moment. And I, I just, I just didn't, I didn't see that coming. I, I felt really blindsided by that loss. And really, I remember that night just being like, damn, I love Lamar. I want to see him lift that trophy someday. I know. And I just was so disappointed. I was like, man, I did not expect that at all. Yeah. And it's tough. Like I'm probably going to hate on him for that. Like, honestly, well, um, he deserves next time he's in a big game. We'll be like, remember last time. Yeah. And it's, this was not the first time, right? Like he just straight up, that's been the thing. And he has not been good in the playoffs really at all. So it's just at this point, it's like, go prove, go prove us that you can do it. I don't, I didn't pick them to go to the Super Bowl this year. I, I did pick the chiefs Um, or no, I didn't. I didn't pick the chiefs. I picked the Niners to win it. Mm. Um, I picked the bills to go. Oh. And I, I said that the winner of the Bills and the Chiefs was going to go mm. to the Super Bowl. But You weren't wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Entirely. Technically, yeah. But I did. Like, I was not I was not comfortable picking the Ravens because I just I already going into the playoffs felt like they are a team that under under delivers for one mm. reason or another. And they did. So it's going to be like. I, I don't I can already see where this is going. Like, I've had a good relationship with Ravens fans for a long time, but I just, I don't see myself believing in them for a long time until they prove me wrong. So there's a guy I think, so Lamar is getting doubted. Uh, but everything you just said about Lamar, you could probably lift and place onto Dan Campbell. I think there's a lot, there's a conversation right now in Detroit where like, Hey, did, did Dan Campbell cost his team a shot at the Super Bowl? <laughs> like did, <laughs> is, is the reason why we didn't see Cam, you know, the, the lions in a Super Bowl Cause their coach mm-hmm. just was kind of an idiot. Uh, like a boneheaded meathead guy who maybe made a big mistake. What do you what do you make of that? Because I I remember even in the regular season was it regular season I believe it was regular season against the the Dallas Cowboys, three plays in a row they go for it on for the two point conversion. Yeah, and you're like at some point you got to cut your losses, buddy. Like it's not uh-huh. happening. You got two chances at a two point conversion. It didn't work. You're really going for it a third time. What are we doing? And and there were a couple yeah. moments going for it on fourth down where you're like, I don't love this decision, Dan. I love you. You're an awesome guy. I want you to succeed. I love the Lions. That's a terrible decision. What do you make of Dan Campbell right now? How do you how do you feel about him? Um so I, I think you can definitely make a case that they should have kicked the field goal there. I don't think the game was like so out of hand that they're like Cause that would have what given him a 10 point lead or 17 point lead it or it was, it would have added the amount of scores that the Niners needed. Right. It's not like yeah. it was going from three to six the game would have ended or like tied rather than losing to the, it, it would have been, they would have had 34 points. They lost 34, 31 if they kicked that field. goal. Okay. So at the time, what, what was the situation when they went for it? Do you they have went that? For it, uh, they were up 24 to 10 and they went for it on fourth down. It didn't get it. So they were, they with, were up. With like 14 minutes left. 
Yeah. With uh, or, or what point was that? It was mid third quarter. Seven minutes left in the third quarter. Oh, and then another. So oh. I'm looking at. There's another one. Fourth and three. Uh, this is the one that really mattered. They were up. They were down 24 to 27. That's probably the most. The, the seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. They went for down fourth down. Didn't get it at the 30 yard line. Instead of kicking the field goal, uh, they could have tied the game. It did not. They went and they lost by three with like six. But the the one that was the middle of the third quarter, they were up 14 and they decided to go for it. Correct. Okay. But I think the one that that was like, no, no. The one that people hang on to is in the fourth quarter. They were down three and went for a fourth down rather than kicking the field goal to tie the game. That one, honestly, that's the doesn't even phase me, to be honest. Really? You you don't tie the game with seven minutes left? Well, no, because it was what fourth and four, fourth and fourth and three, five? thirty yard line. Yeah, yeah. No, I would have gone for it there. Mm. That's that's what got Detroit there. Like that's yeah, their that's thing, what I, that's right? what I said and, after the game. Is and, that's, yeah, that's him. And the receiver dropped the ball, right? Yeah. Yep. Wasn't that one of the Josh Reynolds drops? Uh, that was Josh Reynolds. That's earlier in the game. Uh, Josh Reynolds. So had that it. was that's the one I'm remembering. Was the one where they could have kicked it to go up seventeen? Yes, yeah. So you're thinking third quarter one, Josh Reynolds? Yeah. Fourth to and me, two. the fourth quarter one is not. I, I would never hold them against that because there's like five minutes left. They don't. Their their defense sucks. Like yeah, they're not. They're not thinking. Let's tie it and stop the Niners. They're thinking, no, let's go take the lead. That's that's who they've been all along. That one honestly doesn't bother me at all. The third um, quarter one's the one that you're like, uh. the third quarter one that I think is more of a debate. Because um, you're up 14, you could be up 17 to take to the make lead, it a three score it. game. Yeah, with like a little over 20 minutes to play, I think that one was a little bit more like make it a three score game type of deal. Mm. Like I think when you can when you can bump up the amount of scores that the other team needs to get back in the game, um, that's that's different than like tying it versus going up by three like you're within a one score game at that point but earlier in the game there i think you you should have strongly considered kicking that because when you don't get it then you know the niners get inspired they're like oh shit like this is a two score game we just got good field position like let's go you kick that field goal there it's a little more demoralizing it's like dang we got scored three times here um but at the same time that was the josh reynolds drop right like the Mm -hmm. Yeah, the players the gotta make quarter the play. One. Yeah, the call Josh was there. wide open. He dropped it. Like, yep, great play call. Everything's right. So I've heard, I've seen wild takes though, where people send me messages like, you know, the players don't believe in Dan Campbell anymore. I'm like, I, I don't think that's true at all. Shut the fuck I, up. I think they love him. I think they like <laughs> yeah. really, really are happy to play for him. Actually, that's one like, of the worst takes I've ever heard. <laughs> I think no, I think someone sent me Cowherd saying that actually. Yeah. Damn, coward who, who wrote Jordan Love off as a bust let's, in let's like week six. Because I want to, I really want to talk about Jordan Love, man. I I thought I remember early on in the year I said let's just give it time, let's be patient, and I was right. I mean, mm-hmm. he really got better and better as the year went on. He had such a young group around him, and by the end of the year, you're like, and even they won a fucking playoff game. Like we're like, what the Packers found their franchise quarterback? It's incredible. You're a Packers fan. Can you just tell me how you feel about that? Gush about it, maybe. Oh if you man. Want. Well, I'm not just a Packers fan. I was a huge Jordan Love guy in that draft. He was my QB two in that draft ahead of you did too. 
Oh yeah, bro. Nice. I, I said he's yeah. going to be the truth. I said he's got it. I literally said word for word, he's got to go sit behind a veteran quarterback for a little bit, yeah. and then he'll be amazing. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um. So I'm obviously like double stoked uh, <laughs> to to be in this spot, but yeah, man. Like, I really think. I mean, you can dive into like the film, which is fantastic and all that, but from a like a character work ethic and just having it like having it as a quarterback, I think that really showed um, just in like, like I just don't think this is a guy that's going to get to next year and not be able to repeat what he did. Like there was so many points this season, like especially early in the year or even in like individual games, like that saints game, for like early in the year when he came back and won, that ended up being a critical win for the team um, when they were a completely different version of themselves. But like he had his hiccup moments, but he learned from everything. And at no point did he like lose that it factor as a passer that he has with the way he senses pressure and can make plays. Um, But you see so many quarterbacks, like when things don't work for them or, like earlier in the year when the pass protection stunk and the receivers weren't making plays for him, you see quarterbacks like not trusting their receivers or starting to scramble too early, um, you know, and just his ability to get through that and then become the player he did in the second half of the year, I think was super impressive. Um, and just the way he was interacting with fans and players at the Super Bowl, like I think he has a little bit of a, He's got a personality that people are really gravitating towards, which is cool to mm. see because for years he was like one of the most hated guys I saw on like social media and even Packers fans. It's like, no, this is a, he's a really fucking cool cat. Like he went on Micah Parsons podcast. I don't know if you saw that. Um, he, he was like, so Micah Parsons was like, how did you, uh, how did you guys like attack our defense? And Jordan love like answered it perfectly. Like, with complete respect, but with a swagger about it where he was like, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He was like, yeah, I mean, we needed to run the ball like you guys. I think you had a you had a a safety playing linebacker. Uh, He just like kind of said it in a way that was like kind of digging at him a little bit, but not in a disrespectful way. So like I just I think he's the way he just he has that kind of superstar mentality, I think. And Mm. and his his relationship with his receivers, like the work they put in together, too. So like I'm really excited for next year to see kind of where this goes. They were the, they were the youngest offense in the league by almost two years of average. The gap between them and 31 was bigger than 31 to like 13. Do you think Devontae Adams wishes he'd stayed with green Bay? Like hindsight. Now Derek Carr's gone. He's getting thrown passes from, he's getting passed from Aiden O'Connell. Like I know he got paid. He's Vegas, but like, I would love to see Devontae Adams right now with Jordan love, you know, like that would have been really special. We never got that. I he wish. didn't want to be there. 
I wish that whole situation never happened. Yeah, because not only to see him now with love, but last year, like they needed him last year with Rogers also, still there. Dude, he wasted a year of his career with Jimmy Garoppolo and Aiden O'Connell. Like I, I kind of feel bad for Dante Adams too. Like he, I don't know that he's in a good well, spot. Well, and Derek at all. Carr. Yeah. I mean, this was on. This was the only person to blame for this is Devonte Adams, um, and and a little bit of Brian Gutekunst who didn't want to pay him early. But at, at the end of the day, they were willing to give him the money. But he was he had kind of like bad blood about it. Yeah. But Derek Carr's or uh, uh, Devonte Adams' belief in Derek Carr got him where he is now, and uh, I think he probably <laughs> internally has regrets about that, but would never say it publicly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he showed up. He showed up in Las Vegas and was like, "I don't think there's a big gap between Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers." <laughs> mm, <laughs> I don't know. Um, the, the the I guess the question I want to ask you. I I, I want to say something with sarcasm, and I, so I'm going to frame it early so people out there that can't detect sarcasm, I, just in case they miss it. But you you love <laughs> loved Joe Barry, the old Packers defensive coordinator. Mm, I know you mm. loved him so much. How excited are you now about the change they just made it a defensive coordinator? Like, how do you feel about that? What's like, what's going to happen there? Oh, that was, that was one of the best days I've remembered in a long time (laughs) was waking up. I think I was sleeping in that day and I had like so many Twitter notifications, like they actually did it. They fired Joe Barry. (laughs) And like week 12, it was like a no brainer, right? Like the defense was so bad. It finally reached the point where, shout out to like the Green Bay press, we're finally like getting on Matt LaFleur about it. And that was something that bothered me was like, at least in like Pittsburgh, when Matt Canada was such an obvious dumpster fire, like the fans are out there, not just at the game, like chanting fire Matt Canada. I turned on college game day and saw three fire Matt Canada signs that had it was like some random game in like Alabama or something. And there's Steelers fans out there saying fire Canada. So like finally it reached a point where Packers fans who I think are a little bit too pro organization is something I've learned. Um, they're a fan base that doesn't like to hear criticism of their coaches and general manager. Yeah. Um, which is a rarity. Most most fan bases are very, very quick to blame their coaches. What if they were more like, but Philly, finally reached- where they just came after you. <laughs> I wish like yeah, I think exactly. the would be a better organization actually if they were a little less complacent. Yes. Yes. Um and and eventually it reached a point where it, the beat reporters were like like literally like Matt LaFleur literally like what is going on? Like how when are you going to make a defensive coordinator change? Like just saying it to his face. Like yeah. we can all see this out in plain sight. Like and Matt LaFleur like finally stepped in to like the defensive meeting rooms and Credit Matt Lafleur. The defense got a lot better when he started stepping in and like playing it, playing a hand in that. But uh, clearly, I think behind closed doors, Lafleur realized how bad he was because the defense did get better. But I don't think Lafleur was giving Joe Barry a lot of credit for that. So, hmm. um, I was worried that with the defense getting better, that they weren't going to make the change. Is kind of where I was going with all that. Yeah. So when they did it, it was like, thank God. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to see like press coverage and they're going to run like a four, three front, which I'm really excited about or a four, two front because they have these 270 pound defensive ends that they've been playing as stand up edge guys. And I'm like, I want Rashawn Gary with his hand in the dirt. I want Lucas Van Ness with his hand in the dirt. So I just think systematically they could take a massive leap 
defensively next year, which is almost as exciting as what the offense could be, but not quite because their offensive upside is insane. The Packers might win the division. I mean, Minnesota's got Kevin O'Connell, who I like, a head coach. We don't know what's going to happen at quarterback for them. The Lions are coming off of a NFC title loss, and they're, they're really good. But the Packers are, if you're a Packer fan right now, you got to look at your team like, we nailed it at head coach. We love, love, love Matt LaFleur. He's an offensive guy. Yeah. He's not going anywhere. Paired with an awesome young quarterback. Now we got a defensive coordinator who, by the way, seems like he really likes being there. <laughs> he's really, he's yeah. not going anywhere anytime soon. They're building towards something really cool. And it, the sky feels like a limit. And it's only, only going to get better from here if you're a Packers fan, in my opinion, which is so like interesting and exciting. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And last year was a little bit of a, transition season they were they were trying to get some money off the books um obviously moving on from rogers but this year they have they have the jets second round pick they have an extra third round pick from the bills for trading away rasul douglas um which i think they'd probably take that trade back honestly if they knew (laughs) what was going to happen in the second half of the year but it is what it is um but they got a bunch of draft picks they have a little bit of money a little wiggle room to maybe like sign um they don't love to get in a free agency but i wouldn't be surprised if they they went for just to get one more veteran in, in like the secondary yeah. um, could do wonders for this defense. But yeah, I mean, it's just going to come down to at this point, it's like they got to just put their head down, not, not like expect that it's going to happen again. Right. Like they got to really mm. get to work. But if, if things go well in green Bay, I, I think they could be a, like a super bowl team next year. Honestly, like that, that could be mm. the leap they take. Yeah. I, uh, I want to be very respectful of your time, but I've got two more bullet points that I, I'd love to ask you about if you're open to that. Yeah, shoot. Let's talk about Philly because Philly this year took a step backward. Um, they did move on from both their offensive and defensive coordinator. So Philly has now had three coordinators in three years with who they just brought in Vic Fangio and Kellen Moore as a new offensive and defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw Jalen Hurts play not as well. And the question I want to ask you really is, as much as you and I both love Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager, he's probably the best. Like he's a trade savant. He's incredible. Like he's, he's done so many yeah. good moves over the years. The one thing about Howie Roseman that I'm starting to go, Hmm, he did give Carson Wentz a massive contract <laughs> and, and look, look at how that worked out. I mean, Carson Wentz isn't even the NFL really. Like he's not, he's not a factor. And he gave Jalen Hurts a massive contract and who doesn't appear to be earning it at a high level. Now, that could all go kaput with Kellen Moore next year at offensive coordinator. But my, my question, I guess, is what the fuck happened in Philly? Was it the brain drain? <laughs> they lost they lost their defense. Jonathan Gannon and um, what's why am I blanking on the name of the guy in Shane Steichen in, in Indy? Yeah. So they lost two coordinators to become head coach. They had to replace him. Do you just say maybe the coordinators didn't work and they just lost too many assistants? Or does Jalen Hurts a problem? What do you make of Philly and, and who do you blame and what do you think about the future of them? I... I think there's a, is a, there's more going on. I think it was a number of variables that just c- combined to you say like disaster it was kind of what it was by the end, but there, there was still an 11 win team and all that. Still yeah. pretty good. Everyone season one but, right at one point, ten and one, nine and one, something yeah, like that. Yeah, they were red hot. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a lot of things. I think the the coordinator thing was huge. I think it's on both sides of the ball, honestly, like equally. I think Steichen's awesome. Just like we saw yeah. that in Indianapolis, like yeah. they just they were money with not a lot of talent to work with. Um, 
And the the thing about Steichen that I think they missed, because they they ran a lot of the same stuff, but Steichen was so good at like just figuring out what was working and just sticking with it. Because the Eagles can they can beat you in both ways, right? They can beat you on the ground and through the air because they're just so complete. Steichen would figure out what was working and then just stay with it. Like there were games two years ago or, or whatever, where it felt like all they were doing was running the ball or all they were doing was throwing the ball. There wasn't that natural like game flow this year. I think they definitely missed Steichen's just live play calling ability. I do think the Jalen Hurts injury was huge. Like he clearly could not run mm. honestly like at all. Like he looked like one of the slower quarterbacks in the league this year. Yeah. I don't know what was going on, um, but that definitely – just took the whole numbers game advantage out of the whole thing. So that was, I think, a huge part of it. And I'm, I'm hard on Jalen Hurts because we saw you take his running away. We saw more of what he is as a passer. Um, so that was offensively, I think, really what was going on there. And then defensively, I was wrong about Jonathan Gannon. I mm. did not think Jonathan Gannon brought a whole lot to the table, but they desperately missed him. And I'd kind of had all those takes about the uh, – give me 10 minutes, babe. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Gannon was like running stunts and stuff at the end of last year. I had had all those takes about I don't love the the hire for Arizona. Like I didn't think he did much in Philadelphia. But then I get to like my deep dive prep where I'm really watching a lot of all 22 and I'm like, man, Gannon's kind of drawn up some nasty blitzes and stuff here at the end of the season last year. Like I kind of am curious what's going to happen here. And they they were not able to like really manufacture much of a pass rush this year. Um, and they were scrambling to find a defensive coordinator, right? Like they, they ended up flipping it over to um, Matt Patricia midseason. It was just like, yeah, so that was that was a disaster. Uh, and then they had a bunch of regression from those cornerbacks too. They really counted on Bradbury and Slay to repeat great years the year before, and two thirty-plus-year-old corners hit that age regression. So they they had a lot of crap going on for them. Um, really, the the last thing I want to ask you about is, and maybe maybe something you want to hold your cards close to your vest, if I were you. Like, but I okay, m- something you do really well. Your your deep dives are like your I I fucking I think that's some of your best work ever. And I love your draft, Brent. Mm-hmm. Like you're really good before the draft. So I, I guess it would be it would be wrong of me not to ask you, even if you don't have a great answer. Any thoughts on the quarterbacks early on as we look at the draft? Now we kind of we shift our focus from the football season now towards the future for next year. Mm-hmm. Any any early thoughts on the quarterbacks in the draft this year? Anyone stand uh, out? Well, I have I have put out the uh, the QB rankings video, so I don't have any cards to to hold. All the takes are out there to be had but um i think caleb's just freaking awesome i think people are finally coming around coming back around on caleb yeah which is cool to see um do you have concerns about him as a leader by the way that's like the only thing i see that no i'm like i'm like i I don't uh, yeah like people hold him crying with his family after a loss against him i'm like that's a huge plus he cares dude cares yeah, he wants to be great. Like literally, what are we doing? Grow up. Um, I'm. I was praying that the Bears would be stupid enough to keep Fields and not draft Caleb Williams. Uh, I will say that. 
Um, so I think he's he's just he's awesome. He's, he's not like bus proof or anything. Like, sure, there's some stuff to be like critical of. Like, he's not a perfect quarterback, but I, I think he's going to be awesome. I think he's going to like the best landing spot a number one pick has had in a long time. Um, I think the Bears are in really good shape, and I think the offense looked honestly a lot worse because of Fields' inabilities as a passer. And I don't really need to get into that right now, but yeah, love Caleb. Drake May, I don't really have strong takes on. I think every like everything you like is on display. I'm a little worried about his just kind of like feel in the pocket, like kind of after two or three seconds, a lot of times he'll kind of just drop his head and like look at the rush as opposed to just like calmly feeling it out. But other than that, like he's he's fantastic. He also misses more throws than I thought he would. Um but I, I like him. He should go number two. Jaden Daniels, kind of wild card, like great traits. There's great examples of him, like reading out defenses. But for the most part, he can be slow on his reads and like won't see open stuff. And he had great receivers. So like I'm a little. Is there a chance he's number two? Like, do you think he might be the second best quarterback? I mean, sh- looking back on it five years from now, if he became a better player than Drake May, I wouldn't be stunned. But like, if you're trying to take the best chance at it, I just don't think that's very logical. Um, but I, I don't really think there's a chance, honestly. I, I think Drake May is pretty clearly QB two. It'd be pretty out there if Washington went with Daniels. Yeah. Um, I am worried about Daniels if he goes to New England. I will say that. Um, or any, I'm worried about whoever goes to New England. I think New England should either trade back or take Marvin Harrison at, at three. I just, I don't think they're ready for a young quarterback right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you were in new England, would you go Mac Jones and build around him? Mm. I'd have a competition between like Mac and then I'd bring in like Tannehill or Sam Darnold, maybe like yeah. take a chance on him or like Carson Wentz. I don't know. Like next year is so irrelevant for me if I'm new England that it's like, I'm just more focused on, repairing the O-line, the receivers, getting the defense to where it needs to be. I just, I'm honestly just not even really thinking about quarterback if I'm New England right now. Yeah. Is that the reckless? thought of them winning in the a- AFC next year is just, it doesn't even process in my mind. Is it reckless to have the pick they have a third overall and then not draft a quarterback like that? You know, that's my concern. Because I don't think they've got the, the stuff in place for a young quarterback. They've got defensive head coach. They've got, I don't remember, their offensive coordinator, I'm, it's someone it's like a familiar name i don't remember exactly uh, van pelt yeah or not scott van pelt. alex um, van pelt alex van pelt yeah, yeah so they it's i don't think they're set up for a young quarterback but if they don't draft a let's say Jaden daniels when's the next chance to get another quarterback like that i don't next year you, you think they'll be bad i don't think Jaden. Right Tan- i don't think Jaden daniels is a guy that um my phone does this annoying like talks to me when it charges oh. fully I'm I don't know if that came through on the mic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, like I think Daniels is the perfect example of like every year I think a quarterback rises to that level yeah. of prospect hood, if you will. Sure. Like he had a great year, rose to the table, high upside, all that stuff. But like there will be a guy, there might be four guys next year that take that leap. Like nobody would have said Jaden Daniels was going to be in consideration for the number three pick last year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But no one would have said that about so, Burrow before his final year at LSU either. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so then you got Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix. Are they first round picks? Mm-hmm. Are they like I I personally feel like we got five quarterbacks that if they land in the right spot, all have a shot to succeed. I know that's so wishy-washy, but like Drake May with the right coaching staff would be awesome. Drake May with the wrong mm-hmm. staff, I feel really worried about. And that I feel that way about a lot of these quarterbacks. Like I think if things go perfectly for Bo Nix or Michael Bennett Jr., they could go from a non-factor to maybe a starting quarterback. It's they're that there's that wide of a range with those two. How do you feel about those two guys? Um, with both Nix and Penix and and McCarthy too, I it just comes sure. down to like landing spot for them. Like I think they're perfectly fine prospects. They're all a little different. Mm. Um you know, Penix has to go somewhere with a great O line and great vertical threats. Yeah. Otherwise, I think honestly, I would go as far as saying I think he'll be a bust. Like I just he doesn't he doesn't create. He's not great like in the intermediate game. He just he needs to be in a system that's going to set up great protection guys down the field, and that's where he thrives. I mean, he throws a great deep ball. He can read out different zones and make difficult decisions deep down the field. I don't think he does a whole lot all that well. Um, and he's been hurt. Nick's, he's gone out both knees and both shoulders, by the way. So yeah, Penix Jr. Yeah. has a lot of injury history, too. They're like, Ugh. Yeah. Nick's, I think, is somewhere between Kenny Pickett and Brock Purdy. Mm. Sure. I think he could be Brock Purdy. Um, I actually like Nick's. I like him to Denver because he's, I mean, why is Sean Payton moving off of Russell Wilson? He doesn't consistently hit the open receivers over the middle of the field when Sean Payton schemes them open. And I think he got extremely frustrated watching the film every week. Like Russ, I love you, Russ, but like, why aren't you throwing that slant? Why aren't you throwing that dig? It's right there. Nick's is the opposite. Like he is one of the most consistent quarterbacks I've ever seen. at just like not passing up an open first read when it's there. Mm-hmm. And he's creative outside of that. I was impressed by, by Nick's. He's a little bit limited with his arm. Um, and Oregon didn't really ask him to like do full field reads or anything like that. Maybe he can do that more at the next level, but would you say he's number four then Bo Nix? I've got him four, Yeah. Um, and I've got him pretty close to Jaden Daniels actually. Wow. Um, Even though Daniels is a better athlete. Right. I mean, Nix is like just in terms of like total grading profile, they're close. Mm -hmm. Daniels is like boomer bust kind of like. Although I don't think Daniel's ever going to be like a bust, like he's just going to suck, um, just because I think his his mobility gives him a good floor. But like Daniel's could explode, right, um, and be a be a superstar quarterback. Whereas Nick's is like I think he's a you draft him and he's the twenty second best quarterback in the league like right away, and probably mm-hmm. won't get too much higher than that. The last and McCarthy's thing- just a ball of clay. Like he's just yeah, literally. A, it that just comes down to interviews, put him in a meeting room with a chalkboard for four hours. Do you think he's got what it takes to grow and become a great player? Because he's got tools, but he, he does not have first round tape. And I don't even think the guys in the NFL that like him would tell you that he has first round tape. You see, I don't I was shocked he came out. Now now with yeah, hindsight, Jim Harbaugh's leaving and but I, I thought he could have stayed at Michigan and been the man for a little bit longer. I don't I I don't view him as a, a top ten pick or a first round pick. Even is he a second? I, I think a second round pick maybe makes sense for him because because he has got such a he's a ball of click. If you if you view him right and you think you can coach him right, 
maybe it's something that can happen, but I think he's a backup. I, I don't know what to make of JJ McCarthy. I, I it, it was weird he came out. Do you agree with that? Definitely weird he came out. There's some parallels to like Jordan Love coming out, but I think Jordan Love was just a much better quarterback coming out. Like he had to be there. Like the big difference is Jordan Love had to be the offense at Utah State when everybody left and the team was ass. Whereas JJ McCarthy is on the best team in the country and they're literally out there against Penn State and they had like a couple bad throws in the game and they're like, all right, well, JJ, you're just going to hand the ball off the rest of the game. Um, so there's a huge difference there. Um, but similar kind of thought process where it's like, well, if we believe in the kid, we, we believe in the traits, get him in a spot where he can sit and learn and grow. Sure, he could work out, but what do you what do you pay for that? 25th pick in the like 25, like like 26 to the bucks is like the the very earliest I'm thinking, like Hmm. maybe I'm cool with it. But if like like Denver takes him at 12 and they're like, you're our starter. Like, I don't think that's going to work. What about Minnesota? Not with the 11th pick. I don't think I would do it, but maybe second. If you, if you trade down or trade back up, they don't have their second round. Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. They have their second round pick. So yeah, like I love, Minnesota for any literally any quarterback, I think, is a a yes for me. Like there's such a QB friendly situation. Yeah, I the I, I just wish we could have seen JJ McCarthy go to like USC, somewhere where he's asked to do more and has to has to throw yeah. football. Like because you're right, his tape is not that would have been fun. He's not wasn't asked to do very much. And you're like, how do you evaluate that? I have no idea. But Agreed. man, that's all I got for you. Do you have any any other thoughts? Like any I know I again I want to be respectful of your time, but I appreciate you sitting down and talking with me. Yeah, no, that, that was a ton of fun. I was looking forward to this, and it was, it was a pleasure. I love you, man. It's good to see you. It's so fun. Like, great hallelujah. to see you. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> until next time. Bam, bam, bam. We're done. Great job.